My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. And lesson delivery for online learning and in-class learning is so different, completely different. Like you have to plan a completely different lesson if you were in school compared to if you're online. So there's no way it can be effectively done at the same time by one person. So this is a really big fight that OU is taking on at this moment. So one of the demands... In That's the, the voice of Laura McCoy. She and Leela Acharya are today's guests on Talking Radical Radio. This show brings you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are involved in many different struggles, talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening can strengthen all of our efforts to change the world. McCoy and Acharya are teachers in Toronto. They are also members of Ontario Education Workers United, or OWU, a grassroots group of education workers from across Ontario committed to fighting for a strong, equitable, public, safe K-12 education system. It is, of course, nearly the start of a new school year, typically a time of excitement, of fresh energy, perhaps of nerves related to new classes, new lessons, new faces. Thanks to COVID-19, though, this year, much like last year, it is also a time of serious concerns about safety and of significant uncertainties about how it's all going to work. Even before COVID, Ontario's education system was facing a rough time under the stewardship of Conservative Premier Doug Ford. Early on, there were attacks on Indigenous and LGBTQ-focused curriculum. Then came the announcement of cuts to education funding, often framed so as not to sound like cuts, and consequent resistance by students, parents, and education workers. OWU came together in the summer of 2019, in the middle of the fight against the proposed education cuts. Though most of the initial members of the group were active in their unions, in part they were motivated by a recognition of the value of bringing education workers together in a grassroots way across the boundaries of different unions, job categories, and jurisdictions. As important as unions are, they can also be slow-moving and quite constrained in their capacity and willingness to act. According to Acharya, for some education workers, these limitations resulted in, quote, a strong sense of frustration and sometimes even outright anger, end quote. In response, she said, OWU formed as, quote, a place where educator activists could come together, discuss what was going on around us, and look towards organizing collective action, including building alliances with our co-conspirators in the community, end quote. McCoy added that the group has also become a way to, quote, push for our unions to take bolder action, end quote. When COVID hit, the education system was turned upside down. After the initial panicked transition to online learning in the spring of 2020, OWU got active with parent groups in figuring out what a quote-unquote safe September would look like last year. That summer and into the fall, they were mobilizing around things like class sizes, adequate ventilation, and appropriate personal protective equipment. Given the inadequate government action on many of these demands, OWU also played an important role in early exploration by education workers of what the right to refuse unsafe work might mean in the context of COVID-19, including supporting attempts to invoke that right. 
Through the school year, they organized numerous other actions and events to put pressure on the province and on school boards, and they were also very involved in supporting other grassroots campaigns for policy changes that would strengthen community health in the face of the pandemic, like the push for paid sick days. Today, we are almost a year and a half into the pandemic, and Owu is gravely concerned that the Ford government has still not been doing what needs to be done to adequately prepare for the coming school year. This summer, Owu has been working with the Ontario Parent Action Network to press for a safe return and a just recovery with six central demands. This includes various kinds of improvements to funding, equity measures and curriculum in schools, as well as measures to ensure healthy classrooms through limiting class sizes, improving ventilation, and rapid testing and contact tracing. Another key concern for educators is the likelihood of hybrid learning in many jurisdictions, meaning that many teachers will be teaching simultaneously to both an in-person class and online learners. McCoy described hybrid learning as a quote-unquote disaster, and said, quote, there's no way it can be effectively done at the same time by one person, end quote. They are demanding the province fund boards to offer dedicated in-person and online teaching. I speak with McCoy and Acharya about the work of Ontario Education Workers United and about the pending return to school. Uh, and I'd like to give a special thank you to Muna Kadri, another member of OWU who made the time to participate in this interview, but who was only briefly able to be present due to technical difficulties. My name is Laura McCoy, and I'm a teacher in Toronto. I'm an elementary teacher. I teach the intermediate grades. I also have two children who went to the TDSB in Toronto. My oldest one is in university now, and the younger one is going into high school. I've lived in downtown Toronto for all of my adult life and participated in school and activism as a parent, as an education worker as well. I'm Leela Acharya. I'm a social justice educator. I'm coming from an anti-racist, anti-capitalist, queer feminist standpoint. I've been in public education, secondary classrooms as a teacher and a guidance counselor for about 15 years. And I have also been involved as a parent of a recently graduated high school student. And I've also been engaged for many years in community organizing, global education, solidarity work, trying to work from an anti-imperialist global equity lens. Um, the Ontario Education Workers United in the spring and summer of 2019, a group of education workers got together. At the time, we were fighting against cuts to public education from the provincial conservative government. The members of the group at the time had all been active in various fights for public education. And it was the time when West End Parents and Ontario Parent Action Network were coming together as well. So a group of largely teachers, but other education workers as well, decided that it would be important to have a connection across the province between education workers from different union affiliates who could work in a more grassroots way. So most of us are active in our education unions, but the idea of coming together as grassroots activists was really important at the time. We started kind of casually meeting at people's houses and growing the group from there. Our initial fights were, as I said, for funding. We were fighting against the funding cuts. And then we've, in more recent times, of course, started working a lot on health and safety due to the COVID pandemic. And in part of the group's evolution, I think there was a strong sense of 
frustration and sometimes even outright anger at the slow response and attempts to organize and communicate with members of our respective unions. And so this was a place where educator activists could come together, discuss what was going on around us and look towards organizing collective action, including building alliances with or co-conspirators in the community, different organizations, and working together to protect public education and advance the common good in terms of public education. Also, it was a place where we could spend some time visualizing what we were looking for in public education. We'd all been involved in social justice work of various different forms and in community activism. And it was a place where we could talk about what would be really great public education? Like, what do we need to make the curriculum really strong and anti-racist and social justice? And what kind of funding do we need for really supporting equity in our programming and those sorts of things? So it was, I think, really inspiring for a lot of us as a place to be, to be with like-minded educators and to work towards a common goal of a really strong and just public education system. How did things change when COVID hit? Things changed at a moment's notice. At the time, we were in bargaining, and I think we had done a lot of work to let the public know about cuts to education and bringing together education workers from across the province and doing some really great solidarity work with different community organizations. And then COVID really brought all of that to a screeching halt, like our bargaining was almost shelved in a sense. And we really had to switch because, I mean, there was so much unknown, of course, about COVID at the beginning, but we we really switched our fight to what makes classrooms safe, like the physical safety of being in a room with 30 kids. And many schools, the physical building is not built for, you know, the ventilation is old or inadequate and it's crowded. And, you know, there's all those physical conditions. But then also there's huge equity issues. We've seen COVID spread significantly more in some communities where people are already struggling, living in poverty and that sort of thing. So we really, last summer, switched gears and took on a lot of work fighting for safe working conditions and learning conditions in our schools. We continue to work with the same organizations like parent organizations and community groups, but we also made new connections when we started looking at things like, you know, the right to refuse unsafe work and equity issues in terms of COVID and that sort of thing. Once the pandemic hit, we were able to tap into some of those school action teams that were developed prior to COVID, working in partnership with, say, parent groups like OPAN and the Ontario Families for Public Education, I believe. We were documenting COVID concerns in classrooms. There was a joint action last July, or maybe it was in August, around what does afford government's COVID classroom look like at Queen's Park. And so a classroom was actually set up without the physical distancing, with the large numbers of students next to each other and young people speaking. And so fighting for a safe September was a really big thing that OU was engaged with right from the get-go in July. And we were sort of waiting to see what our unions were doing. And we were actually quite ahead of our unions in terms of trying to figure out what our response should be and what our demand should be. And in some ways, I feel that OU is in a way accidentally perhaps filling in all the gaps of our union in many ways. 
Another big piece soon after school began was a forum about what does unsafe work refusal look like and what are the implications if you were to refuse unsafe work, which we have the right to do. And so consulting with a lawyer and coming up with the steps involved if you were to refuse unsafe work. And many members bravely actually did refuse unsafe work. And I believe it had an impact on many other members who were watching very closely in terms of, well, you know, do I do this? Do I not do this? So that was a big piece as well in terms of the opening in September of 2020. One of the roles of OWU, which I think has been really significant, is actually showing educators what kinds of actions can be possible and giving people courage to do them because they know they're not alone, but that there's a group, there are people who think similarly and who are behind them. And the push for our unions to take bolder action. And I think we really looked at the work refusals before our unions had that much on their radar or publicized it much to the members. And I think our work in that area in particular really did push them to support members who felt unsafe in the workplace and needed to use this as an option. Both before and during the pandemic, how have you built your organization in terms of connecting with education workers outside of those already involved, particularly in regions and unions and schools where you didn't already have members? There are Facebook groups where teachers would get together and we would speak about different topics and issues. And sometimes a question would come up in terms of where's our union, where's our union? We're waiting for a response. And while we waited for that, these seem to be opportune moments to reach out to people and tell them about, oh, if they didn't know already that it existed. And so reaching out meant basically talking to people, talking to coworkers and getting those coworkers to talk to other people. But we've got a lot more work to do in terms of getting more education workers of color. Some of this work was done. We touched upon it when we successfully got a OWU activist into a position in one of our unions. And in my personal outreach with racialized education workers, some of them were hearing about OWU for the first time. And I was talking to them mostly in context of this particular campaign we were working on. And I really feel there's a big need to now go back and keep building with some of those folks and try to bring them into the organization as much as possible. We've got a long way to go because, you know, we're still battling white supremacy, even within a very progressive organization that is doing the kind of activism that we want to see for the common good to protect public education. We have a lot of teacher workers, both elementary and secondary, and we have some adult day school teachers, but we don't have as much support staff, QP members. We're pretty concentrated in some geographic areas of the province. We have some members in Ottawa and then sort of the larger GTA, Golden Horseshoe area, but not a big presence in the north, for example, in Indigenous communities. So that's something we've certainly talked a lot about and we've strategized around, but it's something that just takes a lot of work. And part of the reason is because we're constantly in this responding mode to what the government is bringing down, what the COVID situation is presenting, what the data about, you know, racialized communities and high COVID rates or families that are signing up for virtual school this coming year happen to be in, quote unquote, high risk COVID neighborhoods. We're always responding to the current crisis. And so to do this other relationship building long term work is something very much on our agenda. But when we get out of this crisis condition, then we can really focus on that in a, in a meaningful, concrete way. Until then, it's a little bit haphazard because we're always trying to respond to crises. 
What else was the group doing over the course of the last school year? At the beginning of the last school year, we were still very much trying to figure out school safety issues. Things like the ventilation and the class sizes and getting appropriate PPE. And also for people who were teaching remotely, there's a whole different set of issues in terms of workload and training. The right to refuse unsafe work, a lot of that happened in the fall of last year. And a number of people did exercise that right, which led to some changes in working conditions to improve the safety. But then as we got through to the spring of this year, we started looking ahead. Many of us thought that at this point, we would be in a better position in terms of the pandemic and safe school reopening for this coming up fall. And it doesn't feel like we're as far ahead as I was hoping we would be. But so we're once again looking at safe school reopenings. And in the spring and early part of this summer, we've been working with the Ontario Parent Action Network quite a bit on some of their demands for a safe return and a just recovery. Together, we've come up with six demands which deal with school safety, but also broader funding for public education. So it's not just a crisis response in the moment, but it's a vision for public education that includes appropriate funding and equity and supports for communities. Another thing we focus on in the year is things like the paid sick days. We know that parents will send their kids to school sick because they can't take time off of work if they don't have paid sick days. So that's something that we've worked a lot on. And that's part of the demand that we have at this point in the work that we're doing with OPAN so that communities are healthy, which will make our schools healthy as well. And connected to that, some other actions and organizing that took place in the past year has been supporting moves to demand equity for adult day school teachers. There was also, I believe, an action forum about hybrid education, the simultaneous fragmented fractured learning that is soon to be implemented in many boards and ways to organize against it. There were several education worker caravans in support of essential workers and paid sick leave. And recently, one of our members initiated a literature drop recording the lies of Minister Lecce regarding public education. So, you know, building outreach tools, awareness raising tools with OPAN, and just getting out and speaking to people about the harmful cuts, what it's doing to public education, what's at risk, the huge privatization that's at risk right now, and building solidarity around trying to protect and invest more after so many millions has been removed already to ensure students get the schools and the education that they deserve. In a bunch of different ways, questions related to online learning have loomed large in the last couple of years in Ontario, even before COVID. Talk a bit about what that has looked like and about what your group would like to see. Definitely, we were fighting against mandatory online learning before COVID. That was going to be a definite reduction in quality and was put forth as a money-saving tool and also a privatization. The curriculum building and implementation was going to be given to, you know, Pearson or Nelson or any of those big companies. So that was a big fight even before COVID. Now, we're definitely focused on no hybrid learning, and it's got different names. Some boards are calling it community learning or things like that, (laughs) euphemistically. Hybrid is a disaster. 
hybrid where a teacher in a classroom, physically in the classroom with students in the classroom in front of them, would then also at the same time be responsible for students at home online is really an impossible situation. There's no way a teacher could be attentive to the learning of both groups of students fully and physically in the room, it wouldn't work. Like a teacher doesn't stand at the front of the room and deliver a lesson. So as the teacher moves around and helps other students in the room, does the camera follow them? And if so, you know, what are the privacy concerns of the students in the class, the students watching from home, the classroom being broadcast to who knows where, and then the students at home unable to get the individual attention that they need, And lesson delivery for online learning and in-class learning is so different, completely different. Like you have to plan a completely different lesson if you were in school compared to if you're online. So there's no way it can be effectively done at the same time by one person. So this is a really big fight that OU is taking on at this moment. So one of the demands in the six demands that OPAN and OU have put together is no hybrid is a concern that parents don't necessarily understand what it's going to look like. In many school boards, and I know in the TDSB, my daughter's going into high school and we had to choose online or in person. And so parents have made that choice. But I think a lot of people don't understand that no matter which choice you make, there are going to be situations where that in fact is the same choice. Your kid might be at school in person or they might be at home online, but it's going to be the same class and that's going to be a disaster. So one of the things we're definitely doing right now is looking at how we can educate people about what that actually looks like and how to fight against that at the school board level and then also provincially because the board Boards are implementing it because they're not being funded appropriately by the government to actually deliver education in both situations appropriately. And one of the dangers with the province not providing the funding required to run an independent virtual school and avoid hybrid learning is that this decision and how to implement it may be downloaded on individual schools. And that's very dangerous because not every administrator out there are practicing anti-racist educators, number one. And secondly, all aspects of equity are going to be thrown out the window when you start looking at hybrid classrooms. So it is a very dangerous moment right now unless we're able to push back against it. At the same time, we have to acknowledge that there are families that genuinely need online learning, whether their child is at risk to be at school or whether their family members at home who are immunocompromised, whatever the case may be. And there may also be teachers that cannot, for medical reasons, return to work. So we have to come up with an alternative as well. What are we going to offer the students that want online? We want a dedicated online teacher. We want dedicated online classrooms. What do education workers need to be doing, need to be thinking about, to more effectively build relationships of solidarity with parents, both organized parent groups and also the broader constituency of unorganized parents? We have a common interest, obviously, parents and education workers in having a really strong public education system. And I think we have a lot of similar ideas. You know, we need more funding. We need equity in education. We need anti-racist education. We need repaired buildings, small class sizes, like all those things. I think most parents agree with that. So we're coming from a place where we can certainly agree on so many things. But the work to be done is finding those places where we can come together and 
put forth these ideas. So yes, we've worked with a lot of the organized parent groups, OPEN in particular, but the challenge is similar to the challenge of reaching more education workers, reaching the parents who are not part of those groups. And so I think we try to do those things in different ways as teachers or education workers at our schools, making contact with the parents of our students, being in the community and being actively involved in things beyond just your classroom you know, all the community organizations that different people are involved in. We are also involved in as teachers, but also just as people and as members of the community. So having those conversations just when you're in the park or you're walking your dog or you're at the grocery store, I think all of those moments are important. And that's how you make those genuine connections. And then you can start to build on those connections. And when things come up, like when the cuts to education come up or questions about school safety, if you've got those relationships built just in a more natural way, then you can hopefully work together to come to solutions. There are a lot of commonalities, whether it's connections to the need for a well-resourced public health care system, you know, housing for all, food security, paid sick days, affordable childcare. As education workers, in a way, we're positioned where we have access to all these families and parents of kids that attend our schools. And so we could tap into things like the existing parent councils. Sometimes they're not as representative as they could be. Those parent councils have a lot of work to do in terms of bringing in families that are marginalized by various structures that keep them out. But there is at least some kind of structure in place. We're able to communicate with folks that others may not have access to. Trying to build that, of course, takes a lot of time. It's a lot of work and it's very much in the longer term. But there are definitely common good issues for us to organize around. With the start of a new school year almost here, what kinds of actions would you ask listeners in Ontario to take? We're continuing our work looking at like what do we see as safe schools and what do we see as solid public education. The no hybrid is something that we're really focusing on at this point, but we're looking for you know investments in public education, healthy classrooms, anti-oppressive and inclusive learning environments, those sorts of things. And what I would suggest to the general public is that they get involved in pushing the provincial government to fund education appropriately. That's a huge fight because that's something that the provincial conservative government has been bent on destroying and privatizing. In the immediate term right now, we need to get as much information out to families about hybrid learning and the impacts on learning and sending letters, emails, phone calls to directors of education, because right now, since it has been downloaded to the various boards, we need to pressure those directors of education to halt hybrid learning and find other ways to meet the needs of those that want virtual classes. In addition to that, there's a need for full-scale support for air filtration in schools. In terms of the air quality in these rooms, are we reaching the standards that we're supposed to be reaching? It's all very gray at the moment. Who is checking these things and who are they accountable to? There's nothing in place. So air filtration is a big issue. Same with the huge class sizes. It sounds like we're going back to regular class sizes. So how is this distancing and stuff going to work? There's a need to be super vigilant as we go back into our schools right now and wait and see how things unfold. You have been listening to my interview with Laura McCoy and Leela Acharya of Ontario Education Workers United. To learn more about the group, search for them on Facebook or Twitter. 
To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. Thank you.